Well, today we begin a new series from the Old Testament as we look at the writings of the prophet Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, depending on how you'd like to say it. There are a few different pronunciations of this strange name, but we're going to go for the sake of consistency with Habakkuk, Habakkuk, all right. So we're going to follow Habakkuk's journey as he seeks to understand more of who God is and the importance of trusting God and trusting God's handling of justice, even when it doesn't make sense. Over the next few weeks, we're going to go through the book of Habakkuk, chapter by chapter, and we want to invite you to read along with us, with Habakkuk, as we go through this series. Now, if you're a little unfamiliar with Habakkuk, that's okay. He's not one of the typical go-to biblical characters to preach about. In over four decades of coming along to church, I can't ever remember hearing a sermon about Habakkuk. There's actually not a lot known about Habakkuk compared to some of the other characters that we read about in the Bible. He's not personally referenced anywhere else. Although there are a couple of snippets of his writings that are referred to in the New Testament in Romans and Galatians and and Hebrews as well. Habakkuk is the eighth of 12 minor prophets that wrap up the 39 books of the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, when we talk about minor prophets, that does not mean that the minor prophets were less important than the major prophets. Every prophet had something very important to say. It's just that some had more to say. So to those prophets who wrote a lot like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel, we categorize them as the major prophets. Those who were more concise and to the point with their writings, we call the minor prophets. Habakkuk's writings are divided into three quite short chapters. And we notice that his writing style is a little bit different to some of the other prophets. Habakkuk is quite poetic in the way that he writes. The final chapter, chapter 3 of Habakkuk, is basically a song like you would read in the Psalms. It's believed that Habakkuk may have been a musician from the tribe of Levi who served in the temple. But perhaps what distinguishes Habakkuk most from the other prophets is this. Usually the role of a prophet was to hear from God and then take that message to the people. The opening line of Habakkuk's writings tell us that he received an oracle from God. This is a way of saying that God impressed a burden or a heavy weight or an awareness onto Habakkuk in relation to what was going on with his people. But rather than going directly to the people with this burden to straighten them out, Habakkuk, in his writings, reveals his desire to firstly get things straight with God because there is a lot going on that's not making a lot of sense. Habakkuk has questions, big questions, bold questions, questions that make us think, uh, can can we actually speak to God like that? Can we ask him those questions? But as we read through, we can be encouraged by Habakkuk's relationship with God as it deepens 
and as it strengthens. With these three short chapters, we observe a significant shift in Habakkuk's perspective. Now, if you know a bit about the Bible, you're probably aware that the names given to people in the Bible often carried considerable meaning and often described much of their character. Such is the case with Habakkuk. This strange-sounding name means to wrestle with or to embrace. So which one was it? Was Habakkuk a wrestler or an embracer? As we read through his book, we find that the answer is yes. Regardless of what was happening or what was going to happen, Habakkuk held on tightly to God. And as we read through, we find that his fear becomes faith. Worry becomes worship. Confusion becomes consolation. And wrestling becomes embrace. Each chapter of Habakkuk progresses to a different stage of the journey. And hopefully, as we go through this series, we'll be able to resonate with each of these stages because we all experience confusion in life. We, all have, we also have the opportunity to experience God's faithfulness with whatever might be going on. Now, before we dive into chapter 1 of Habakkuk, it's helpful to have some context as to what was going on around his time. This time that he received an oracle from God. Habakkuk lived around about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. But let's go back another 400 years to the time of King David. David, David of David and Goliath fame, King David. David was a man after God's own heart. And the 12 tribes of Israel were united and prospered under his reign. His son, Solomon, took the throne after David died, which started out well, but things then started to go downhill. When Solomon's son, Rehoboam, became king, Solomon's former servant, Jeroboam, created a great deal of unrest. And as a result, the 10 northern tribes of Israel under Jeroboam split from the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin under Rehoboam's leadership. We read through the books of Kings and Chronicles much of the history of God's people and the correlation between keeping close to God and prosperity and rejecting God and the ruin of the nation. There were good kings that were favoured by God, and there were bad kings that did whatever they pleased that brought disaster. So God's people were constantly on a roller coaster ride. Bad kings leading God's people led to the kingdom of Assyria eventually coming in and conquering northern Israel whose capital was Samaria. The people of the two nations then intermarried, which didn't go down too well with the southern tribes. 
Hence the big issue with the Samaritan people that we read about in the New Testament. In Habakkuk's time, he grew up in the southern kingdom of Judah under the rule of King Josiah. Now, Josiah was one of the good kings. The Assyrian Empire was still the current world power at that time, highlighted here in the picture in green. As I mentioned, they'd already taken over the northern kingdom of Israel. But Assyria had begun to overstretch themselves, and now there was another nation rising to power, Babylon. The Babylonians, or the Chaldeans, depending on your Bible translation, it refers to the same people, the Babylonians and the Caledonians. Caledonians, the Chaldeans, the same people. All right. So they began to make their mark around 600 B.C., Meanwhile, the good King Josiah had died and his sons um, went into leadership. And then once again, the kingdom of Judah went into decline under the rule of Josiah's sons. So here is where we pick up on Habakkuk's place in history. He'd seen national revival under King Josiah, but was now witness to the actions of God's people, once again rejecting the way that God had called them to live. Habakkuk lived around the same time as a couple of other prophets, Jeremiah and Obadiah, and possibly the early years of Daniel and Ezekiel. So you'll read about similar concerns in these other prophets' writings, but perhaps a slightly different perspective and emphasis were given. So today we're going to step through chapter 1 of Habakkuk as he brings his complaints to God. He observes what is going on around him in the nation of Judah and he feels the weight of the wrongdoings. And he comes to God with questions. What is going on, God? Habakkuk is confused. He's perhaps angry with what he sees, particularly in relation to injustice and evil and God's apparent lack of concern. What we have to be aware of is this, is that Habakkuk is speaking what is going on amongst his own people, God's people. This is what Habakkuk is observing. And so he fronts up to God and he says, How long, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk has some pretty big issues with the people of Judah. And he's taking it up to God saying, you have given me this burden. What are you doing about it? It's a bold move. But it's a reminder that God is always bigger than our big questions. We see similar interactions throughout the Bible. Moses, he questioned God when he about going to talk to Pharaoh about freeing the Israelites from slavery. 
Jeremiah questioned why God permitted wicked people to get away with so much. And of course, the Psalms are full of why God questions. God is big enough. He's big enough to handle our questions. But his response might not always take the shape that we want or expect or in the time frame that we prefer. Let's have a look back at verse 2 and make sure we get what's going on in Judah. Habakkuk tells God what he's seeing. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? That word violence is translated from the word Hamas. That's the same word we know as the title for the terrorist group you might have heard about on the news. It's an indication that the violence that Habakkuk is observing amongst his people has gone beyond the everyday meaning of the word. It's more than just, for example, taking something from someone by force. Violence in this context, Hamas, is violence for the sake of violence. People are deriving enjoyment at inflicting violence on others. And God is silent. In verse 3 of Habakkuk 1, Habakkuk takes his complaint to God about how the keepers of the law aren't keeping it very well at all. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Again, injustice is not an outcome of a situation. Injustice is the intention going into a situation. It's deliberately desired. Habakkuk knows this is wrong and cries out to God, why are you making me look at this wickedness? People are pursuing their own evil, selfish agenda. And when everyone is chasing down their own agenda, what happens? Other people chasing down their own selfish agenda get in the way and chaos and destruction follows. In the New Testament, we read in the book of James how this behavior continues to be a problem and we continue to see this in the world today. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Habakkuk sees the wickedness of his own people. Judah is corrupt and unwilling to change. And Habakkuk is confused and no doubt a little frustrated as to why God doesn't do anything about it. God is silent, but he's about to make his move. We read his reply to Habakkuk's first complaint in verse 5. God says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. 
I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an evil, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen, earthen ramps, they capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. So there's God's answer. Habakkuk has said, come on, God, your people are really messed up. What are you going to do about it? And God says in verse 6, I am raising up the Babylonians to take care of it. To which Habakkuk replies, right, what, wait, what? The, the Babylonians. God has just gone into a whole bunch of detail describing what kind of people the Babylonians are. They're not nice. And if Habakkuk was confused before, now he is completely perplexed, which God said he would be when he tells him in verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe. This is not your standard coffee cup quote to make us feel all kind of nice and warm and fuzzy. God has been patient, but he has now been patient long enough. God will not continually tolerate sin. Wrongdoing must be punished. Justice must be served. God's solution to Judah's disobedience is as surprising as it is shocking. This brutal evil army will be God's instrument to bring about his justice to his people because of their disobedience. God is not forcing the Babylonians against their will. He's allowing them to take over Judah as a result of the choices that Judah has made. Back in Deuteronomy, earlier in the Old Testament, and all through his prophets, God makes very clear the results of two choices that he gives his people. In Deuteronomy 30, verses 19 and 20, we read this. I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now, choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. Habakkuk, at this point, goes on the defensive Again, questioning who God says he is. He appeals to God's character because he knows God's character is unchanging. But Habakkuk can't seem to reconcile God's approach to justice. It's not the way that he would do it. He tries to rationalize what he's just heard. He says something like, look, God, I, I know Judah has been bad. But the Babylonians, they're, they're worse than us. He then uses an analogy to describe his thinking. 
He compares Judah to fish in the ocean and the Babylonians to the fishermen, again highlighting their wickedness as a way to try and convince God that he's got it wrong. But take note of how Habakkuk continues to cling to God and what he knows about God's character. Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, you will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, you have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and he is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? And that's where chapter one ends. a little bit uncomfortable, isn't it? There's no nice, neat bow wrapped around the situation. There's no resolution to this impending disaster. I think our lives can be a lot like what Habakkuk had going on at that point. We have questions. Life gets like that. We have questions. We look around and we see what's going on in the world. We see the suffering. We hear the stories of violence happening even in our own community. And all for a bit of fun. People getting ripped off for someone else's selfish gain. Laws being passed that run contrary to what we know to be right. It can feel at times like trying to hold on to water. In our society today, attitudes towards God and his ways continue to slide and, and slip away. And like Habakkuk, we cry, how long, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. And when the next development in our story gets worse, instead of better. It confuses us even more. Why is this happening, God? Why aren't you doing something? I don't understand. But God is not always asking us to understand. What he's always asking us is to trust him, to believe that he is always good, to know that he is always just, to trust that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. But we need to remember that God doesn't always work to the same formulas and timelines that we like to impose onto him. 
God will do things his way and in his time for his glory and for our good, even when it doesn't feel good for us. The prophet Isaiah reminds us that God said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What if God's solution was more than we had capacity to take hold of? What if God knew the burden of having all that information was too much for us to bear? What if our perception of his silence or his inaction was an indication of his mercy? Now, that can be an uncomfortable place to be. That requires trust. It requires the belief that God is good, that his plans are perfect. And to do that requires humility. Happiness and a trouble-free life would certainly be nice, but that's not God's ultimate plan for us. Our God-given purpose is that we become mature in our faith, that we become more and more like his son, Jesus, who trusted God's plan completely, even when he didn't understand it. In the book of James, again, we read that the testing of our faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The writer of Hebrews also gives the same encouragement, pointing us to Jesus who gave his life so that we could know God's blessing in our life. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, we read, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The encouragement and perhaps the challenge is to hold firm to our faith in order to persevere, to hold on to God, to wrestle with God if necessary, but to ultimately embrace him, trusting that he is the one that holds all things together and believing that one day our faith will become sight and that we will be in his glorious presence forever. Next week, we're going to continue to see the important role that faith has in Habakkuk's journey of perseverance and what God has to say about Habakkuk's concern about the impending Babylonian invasion. As I mentioned at the beginning, um, it would be really great if we could all read through the book of Habakkuk as we go through this series. It is only three very short chapters. We want to see what God might be saying to you through Habakkuk. 
and his story. Maybe there's something that you read that is applicable to where you are in life right now. And maybe as we read Habakkuk together, there might be something that emerges that there's something as a church that we might need to focus on. Maybe it's something that you can discuss in your life groups. Maybe this whole Habakkuk, story of Habakkuk, is not just a, uh, not just a Sunday sermon deal. We want it to be a conversation. We want you to talk about it in your life groups, out in the foyer after the service. Um, I think it will be very interesting to see what God might be saying to us individually and as a church. So we invite you to come on this journey with us as we, uh, as we make our way through the book of, book of Habakkuk. If you've got any questions or you've got any concerns where you might be in life right now, if you've got those, some of those big questions, you want to talk about that, um, we will have some elders down the front at the end of the service who would be more than happy to pray with you today, talk through what might be going on, see what encouragement can be given to take that next step as we persevere in our journey of faith together. So let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, thank you for the example of Habakkuk. We thank you for his determination to persevere with you. Lord, may we also hold on tightly to you through all of life's circumstances. Help us to trust you when we don't understand to know your peace when it seems impossible and to be patient as you work all things for our good and your glory. May we continue to grow in the likeness of your son, Jesus, and be his example to those around us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.